Welcome to Editing Loud, and as usual, we have a panel of South Africa's top journalists ready to tell us all about what's been going on and why it's important. Guys, can we start with the crime stats that came out this week? Um, it, it's been all over the news. There's been the police minister talking about how we're now in a war zone. Um, Ron, can I ask you, I mean, the figures seem pretty appalling, but for context, are these figures worse than, than before? I mean, why, why is it now we're suddenly panicking about crime stats as opposed to, say, five years ago? I think it was, there's a new minister. Uh, and I think he's playing it out clear, and I think perhaps this is him. This is the base he's going to work from. I think. I mean, we know that the truth about our crimes, our, our crime in South Africa is pretty high. But I think this is Biggie uh, clearly saying, okay, this is this is my base. And I think in his his base going forward, that's what he has. Uh, will mark him against as a benchmark, I think. And the, I mean, in later years, as if he continues as police minister, I promise you, you won't be seeing as clear detail as we saw uh, yesterday, which was kind of depressing. But I think I think for me, it's just him benchmark. This is how bad we are. And hopefully, well, maybe he thinks he'll clean it up. And if he doesn't, I don't think we'll see as as glaring as like, an omission. I mean, uh, I don't know. basically, it means we've given up. We've lost the fight against crime. And yesterday was him just saying, "It's a war zone." I promise you, in in in, in years to come, you won't see a police police minister being as frank as that. It's just. So, it's an opening self-evident. So, so Ray Hartley, mm. I mean, this Ron says that it's mostly politics involved in this current assessment. Um, I mean, surely this is something that should transcend politics in some ways. I mean, 57 people are killed every day. Sexual assaults are through the roof. I mean, surely it's beyond a situation where it's just about playing politics. Yeah, well, I think part of, the, you know, part of the crime problem in South Africa is that it is a consequence of politics because the way in which for decades under President Zuma, the top structures of the investigations units and the prosecution authorities were messed with, and these institutions became much weaker and became much less of a bulwark against crime. But uh, these crime stats, I mean, you know, to sort of put it in perspective, over the last 10 years, um, more people have died, been murdered in South Africa than, than died in the Afghanistan war or in the atomic bombing of Hiroshima. I mean, it's horrific. Mm. It's more than, you know, it's, it's two full FNB stadiums of people, 175,000 people. And so it's, it's got to a big crisis point. I mean, the question is, can Becky Kdele turn it around? Or well, is he going to also fall victim to playing a bunch of political games and putting people in positions to make political points, score political points against opponents. So that's, that, that is the interesting point, is can you turn around and why, why can't we get a handle on it? I mean, Lakanya, do you have any ideas why we can't seem to get a handle on, on the crime rates at all? I mean... I, I don't think we spend below what we should for, for, for policing to some extent, although the minister said we did. But I mean, I, I don't know if it's a capacity issue or why we can't seem to, to nail it. I mean, I mean, this is like not an overnight problem, obviously. I mean, this is, we've been talking about crime in this country for decades, you know. And I remember like in the 90s, people always talk about the chicken rounds. And the all criminals were in the union buildings yeah, for a long time. You know? I mean, so, so I'm not sure really, like, I mean, is, is, is it a policing issue? Is it a bigger societal <coughs> issue? Like, and I mean, if it's a bigger societal issue, it's, I don't think it's anything that you can just flip a coin and think any minister will fix. So, I mean, if you look where the crimes are happening, where the structures, where these places are, the levels of poverty, the levels of lawlessness. And so I'm not sure like how much of a police budget over 10 years or five years can do. I mean, I think we need to maybe discuss this at a much deeper level rather than a question of whether or not we've got 10 or 20 cops at any one day. Mm. Mm. There's always been that 
response of hiring more policemen. So we put, put more muscle on the, on the ground. But clearly, and this has been a policy response since over 20 years, there's more policemen, it's been the call, right? So clearly that's not working. Putting more muscle on the street is not working. So this is where it comes back to what Ray was saying, the intelligence gathering. That's where the focus should be. Instead of just hiring more muscle, basically more security guards and putting them on the street with guns and deal with crime. They're not dealing with crime, clearly. This, mm. It's obvious to everyone. Yeah, I think so maybe the size of the police force is not the issue. Yeah. It's more about the intelligence, what's going into the actual intelligence. But, but I think, I mean, Sekinati, uh, what Ron has just said is, is accurate. I mean, if we basically, it's like our, our teaching scenario. We, we spend a lot on education, but we spend it really badly. So that's exactly what's happening. We're not, we're not spending the right amount, not getting bang for our buck in our spending. Is that, is that part of the issue in terms of nailing this down? Is that we're not, we might spend money, but it's useless money. We're not doing it properly. Mm. We, we are absolutely doing a very bad job of it. The, the, the whole thing is accountability. Have you ever heard of a policeman or a teacher or even a civil servant getting fired for not doing their job? In, instead, they get promotions. And... and, and it starts right at the top, and it's a function of society. It's, it's what we are, and, and of course, what do we do? Uh, we, we keep uh, voting for the same people, we keep uh, putting the same officers, uh, we keep doing everything the same, and yet expecting a different outcome. 20,336 murders in one year, versus, for example, 700 murders in the UK a, a year. That's, that, that, that's a war zone. There seems to be nobody interested in trying to solve the problem. I don't, see, I don't see anyone trying to solve the problem, and that's our biggest problem. No one will be held accountable. We, we, we have been carrying on exactly as, as we have for the past 25 years, and apartheid was no better. It's just the same uh, thing. Politicians get in there and pose. Uh, we had a minister called Figle Mbalula. The best he ever did was pose Rose for Mises. photos on, on, on Twitter, mm -hmm. and he was fighting crime. Uh, like that, uh, there's there's just yeah, no effort. You know, I think that, that that you know there are also things that can be done that are not done. Mm. So you know, part of this is about a mindset and about how people view crime. And at the moment, they view crime as something you can get away with. Mm. Mm. So if you have very high-profile crimes that are filmed and broadcast on national television, like for example, people streaming into somebody's shop and taking all their goods and rushing out into the street and it's filmed and photographed and published everywhere and nobody is brought to book the signal is very clear yeah this is permissible so you know starting with that kind of like the looting that happened at these shops in 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 Soweto go there find those people arrest them and prosecute them and get I mean, rid of dodgy cops yeah. but but Lacanio, i just want to ask is this a, i mean to what extent should business worry about this kind of issue i mean obviously we have things like cash and transit heists we have business robberies that are, that are still looking terrible but to what extent is this an investment issue that people that would deter people from investing in this country i mean actually like a few weeks ago i had a, I had a chat with an ambassador from or from a high commissioner from one of those other countries from from asia then he says to me, like, you know, like some of my business people like, are interested to come to Joburg, but sometimes they're worried about sending them. I don't know whether they'll get to their hotel. I mean, so people actually are worried that when, yeah, when, when they do bring people over for like, some kind of business meetings, they, they, they might not even make it to their hotel because they might have syndicates hijacking them on the way to the airport. So it's not something that's like, out there pie in the sky. It definitely is definitely is an issue, and it's an issue of confidence as well. Like, I mean, if you think the place headlines or war zones, would, would you want to go to invest in a war zone when you can invest somewhere else where 
where you can actually import workers, where you can build play things. And know, you know. Yeah, absolutely, and have a, a growth rate beyond one percent. I mean, yeah, exactly. I mean, you say you say you're MTN or wherever you're trying to like you know import the highest skilled engineers from Asia or the UK or wherever, and. They, they can either come to a war zone or they can go to Berlin. Where, where, where do you think they would go? But this is also like, a, maybe when, when it's about culture, right? I mean, a large percentage of the murders are domestic abuse, right? Husbands killing killing their wives and girlfriends and so on. So that's also another societal stuff. Maybe much, much deeper, the fact that we kill our wives and our girlfriends, right? There must be a deeper issue with us as men, migration. I don't know what, what it is, but in dealing with urbanization, I don't, I don't think South Africa has got a... On just on, on levels of urbanization within the big cities, do we know how people are flooding in every day? Uh, deep slopes getting bigger, or do we have enough police stations in deep slopes to manage them? So there's also there's no grand plan beyond just the policing. I'm like muscle is great, right? We throw we throw as many police police officers, but if we're not actually looking at the at the growth of our townships or uh, places like deep and so on, then are, are we policing those areas well enough? And then, of course, there's a domestic issue. I think we all need to go get some therapy from the, our partner. Maybe it's, but there's something amiss with, with men in South Africa in particular as well. Can I talk on a, about another specific kind of crime just in a couple of minutes before the break? Um, state capture, we've, you know, we've, we've heard about it over the last couple of months. Um, Bain Capital, for example, has now said that they're going to repay the money back. I mean, Sikhanati, can you just explain to us what they said and, and why it's important? So, so that's the 164 million rand that they took from SARS for the for whatever advice they gave to SARS. Then they issued a statement and said, uh, "Oh well, we don't want to benefit from from this kind of work because our 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 assignment was abused there for for other purposes. So we'll pay back the money plus VAT." And uh, they changed the and then following day they said the the, the managing director is stepping down. And, and they changed their statement again and said, ah, he's actually not leaving, he remains a partner. And so we checked with them, why are you paying back the VAT? Does that mean you kept it, you had kept it in the first place? Oh, oh we'll change that statement too, we're paying back the interest, not the VAT. So they charge SARS VAT, they charge the tax authority <coughs> VAT yeah, and to do work it. for them that destroyed SARS. Yes. Yeah. That's the fantastic irony of that. And, mm. and, and this is another form of crime indeed. I, I have said before in my, in my columns that uh, the best place to do crime is in South Africa. Uh, the, the crime stats show, but also white-collar crime. Uh, we, we have uh, the people at Bain and McKinsey walking around like uh, the best people in the world <laughs> because this is the best environment to do uh, crime, white-collar crime. So, so Lucanio, I mean, in terms of repaying the money, has Bain done enough? It seems like there's been a lot of criticism of the various companies for their responses to state capture, the ones who've been involved, mm. like McKinsey and Bain. I mean, what should they have done? I mean, I mean, I think like at the beginning of this, before all the revelations, there was a sense that Bain had behaved at least better than, say, McKinsey. And then there was, I, mean, I think there was some kind of sympathy that maybe they, they maybe they'd found themselves used or as they would. But then other things have come up since then. The meetings that had with Moyane and Zuma before Moyane was even appointed. I mean, that's that's what I found quite shocking. That you, I, other vo voters, taxpayers in the country had no idea that Moyane was going to be the commissioner, and yet. People from Bain knew, and they were actually yeah, I, I, they were actually like <laughs> giving presentations to him. I mean, I think that's probably one of the biggest scandals of this thing. Let alone the money thing. Like, so it's just like, that's just purely as a democratic sovereign nation. I don't know mm -hmm. how we could actually tolerate that to start with. But I didn't actually, I didn't really answer your question about <laughs> about the money. The money is almost like secondary in this case, isn't it? I mean, I, I think 
it's just the principle, mm -hmm. and they could never pay enough. They've cost us over 100 billion rand. That, that's just the start. Mm -hmm. and, and this, this Is that lost year, taxpayer revenue? Yeah, that, that, that's lost uh, revenue that could not be collected by SARS. This year, it's expected SARS will collect 40% less than they should. Mm -hmm. Who do we have to thank? Bain. And what do they do? They give us... The, the bane of SARS existence. Uh, Sorry, Ray, you were going to. I was just yeah, yeah I, th I think that that the uh, you know the problem is that they they were fixing something that wasn't broken. You know, SARS was known to be a functional, successful government department, one of the best that saved South Africa over decades by continuously improving revenue collection. Um, which in, in, enabled government to go ahead with the social welfare programs and a whole lot of other spending that otherwise might not have happened. And this was obviously a functional, successful organization. Why did it have to be turned on its head? Didn't they ask that question? Um, and we'll try and answer that question after the ad break. And we'll also talk about the plot to unseat Cyril Ramaphosa. Join us after the ad break. Welcome back to Editing Loud. And guys, one of the big things that happened this week is it was headlines all over the place that uh, Jacob Zuma and various, various other members of the disaffected were meeting in, in KZN supposedly to unseat Sir Ramaphosa. Um, I suppose, Ray, I mean, you, how true do you think this is? Well, you know, the thing is that there was a picture of the, uh, you know, of Jacob Zuma and Supra Mahomapera and Esma uh, Khashule and others in the foyer of this hotel. Zuma was clutching a big sheaf of files. Mokshila was looking at his phone. Supra was, you know, but there they were together. And the Sunday Times ran the story that they'd had a meeting. And this was vehemently denied, mm. um, but in a very strange way. Uh, denied by people who were in the meeting, yes. denying that they were there. I mean, that's, yeah. that's what I find staggering. The ANC Women's League Secretary General claimed that she wasn't. She never they all happened to be sort of, they bumped into each other in the foyer. One guy was even driving um, past. And, and <laughs> then some very conspiratorial person took a cell phone picture of them. But, the, you know, they just happened to, you know, this is a hotel where, you know, if you go to Durban, you've got to go there. <laughs> it's got a fantastic buffet. <laughs> um, where else would you go? And you're going to bump into people. But it's, it's, it is very, very alarming mm. that the deposed Premier of the Northwest and the ANC Secretary General and the deposed President of the ANC were in the same room on not official party business. What were they doing? I suppose as Mandy Rice-Davies would have said, you know, they would deny it, wouldn't they? I mean, that's pretty much, they have denied it, Ron. I mean, they have denied it. Yeah, yeah, of course they would. When they were caught, I mean, there's nothing to the fact that Mahashulu said yesterday he's going to talk organizational matters with the former president of the ANC. What role does he have to play with organizational matters? He did such a great job. He, eh? he didn't use that word, former. Oh, oh yes, he didn't. He, yes, he, yes. he left he out he, the president. He, he couldn't yeah. bring himself to calling him a former exactly. president. Yeah. But maybe he thought he was so, America, because America is a standard. You just call it president, president. But like, <laughs> you know, in December, we knew uh, Ramaphosa's win was so marginal that this type of thing, we knew was there. And I think Ramaphosa has to come, somehow... Maybe by exposing Mahashulu to some way, but he has to get rid of people like Mahashulu. We knew from the day from day one when he was SG, he has a problem. He has a mole within, and so this is. 
Mahashulu exposed and trying to roll back, but uh, it's clear. Coalition of the Compromise. We've heard stories that Mahashulu and Ramaphosa don't meet at all. Mahashulu can't get an audience with the president. So this tells you that, okay, he's falling back on his old guy and he's got to try and... Got to have an audience with a former president. A former president, But But look, Anya, I mean, why why should we care about this matter? I mean, why is it important? Is it just a salacious story in the front of the Sunday Times that, you know, we, we see a picture, but we don't know necessarily we don't have you know transcripts of what was said in the meeting why should we care about this why would it be important i suppose that we i mean obviously that the story is important in itself um, all the intrigue and everything but also but on the other hand we also remember like ramaphosa was elected and we had this whole period of ramaphoria this whole idea that there's going to be a new dawn and we're going to clean up the parastatals we're going to get the economy going we're going to deregulate everything we're going to cut the cost of data. So all these beautiful things that we were supposed to do to get this economy going. I mean, because that, that, that's a big picture here. We've got an economy that's like shrinking massive levels of poverty, 30% unemployment. We just spoke about the crime. So from a business and investment perspective, if Ramaphosa is so compromised and is so weak and he has got no control of his own party, there's no way he can achieve even half of the things that we've just mentioned that, we've, that, that we say need to be done and that he's pledged to do cleaning up SARS, cleaning up NPA, whatever. I mean, it's done, pro- it's had progress in the yeah. fairness. But when you think of all the challenges, is there, they're hard enough when you're in control. You know, I mean, when, you, when you're not in control, how can you, as an investor, think he's going to do any of those yeah. things? Um, Sikhanadi, I spoke to a few people who were saying that, that they feel that, that one way in which um, uh, such a plot could play out, if it was indeed true, is essentially through just styming everything, just making the country ungovernable, making sure nothing happens, like Lokanya was saying. Do you think that would be the way in which you could seek to undermine the current president and for such a group of a coalition of the, of the, of the wounded to, to succeed in the longer term? The, the, the Secretary General of the ANC and Jacob Zuma and them can't really make the country ungovernable, but they can render the party ungovernable. And I'm not aware of any Secretary General in the history of the African National Congress, a sitting Secretary General that has ever lost a battle, because that's where the engine is, that you control. You've got that seat, you control the party. You, you basically can even decide who is a member in good standing, and that is the danger to Cyril Ramaphosa. They can call, for example, uh, if the Sunday Times is to be believed, and which I do, well, if I had to choose between the Sunday Times and the Mahashule, there's not much of a choice to be made. They can call a general uh, conference, for example, uh, of the ANC to make a decision about Ramaphosa. And who does that? It's the Secretary General of the ANC. And that is the danger. So to move on to something that's, that's aligned to that, you know, we had the news last week that there's a recession now that we're basically slipping backwards. Um, Ron, in terms of how that plays into this, Ramaphosa just looking at it politically first, mm. is, is looking weak. Mm. I mean, the Ramaphoria hasn't delivered. We're slipping backwards. There's been noticeable policy confusion around, around land. I mean, how did you see the, the recession in terms of the trajectory that Ramaphosa was trying to portray? Uh, you know, I think that the recession was... I think we were going to hit that uh, the recession mark. We, and actually, I was writing about it for the past maybe uh, five, six years we've been in this... A recessionary phase. We just haven't had the textbook definition, right, of a recessionary. Just we've been lucky in that sense that uh, that name hasn't been pe- pegged on us. But we have been in recessionary time. So I don't think there was anything he could have done to let us escape it. But in terms of just confidence, right, this is what Ramaphosa is about. And, and and you know maybe if I, I'm, I'm always trying to look at the glass half uh, full uh, thing and saying 
This, and you're a journalist. Huh? Yeah, yeah. I'm, 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 I'm trying. I'm trying. You know, because I can't keep my head there. If I keep my head there, geez, in this country, I belong anyway, in, in, in long depression. But this whole uh, Mahashule plotting and scheming is just not telling you that. Maybe the positive about it is that it shows that clearly there's a faction within the ANC that's losing and they're losing a grip on, on all. And, and this is the leaks and so on. But these are leaks that are coming out to show that this is. I mean, the losing faction, and it's, it's falling away and falling outside of outside of Ramaphosa. What he needs to do is just get a reign over his SG, and, and almost on, on evidence basis, this is evidence, mm -hmm. right? Within the next, uh, can you imagine the next NWC and NEC? We've been discussing the performance of SG and how he'd have to perform now when all eyes are on him. So I think this it might weaken Mahashule more than anything else. He's exposed at the next NEC with uh, with his president there in the top six. So this might be uh, so. In that regard, we knew this was coming, uh, the recession. Uh, I think there was no way we could avoid that recession. Uh, globally, the, the situation is what it is, and South Africa, in terms of confidence levels, is where it is. So uh, Ramaphosa's thing is, uh, he, I think I, we can only judge him economically uh, next year, right? And, uh, when, when he takes the full rate of the It's too late to run. Yeah, it's too late. The recession has happened. But the recession is unavoidable. Like there's nothing. What happens next? There was no politics happens. that would have taken us out of that recession. There was no political change that would like, okay, we're out of recession. There was not. It was just confidence. Okay, we're feeling better about Zuma's gone. But there was no politics that would have changed the fact that we were in a recession. I, I don't think politics alone would have pulled us out. I of have the to recession. say, I agree with Ron. There, I think he's actually been. He's also been reading the financial mail. Very good story in the financial mail where you talk about the structural issues mm. and then and this like I think I think the term your reporter used there was I was at like Zuma's chickens are coming home to mm. roost. Mm. So this is not really about anything that was done in the last six months. Mm. I think maybe what you'd worry more about is going forward. Yeah. But, but you, you, talk, you say that, but then at the same time, one of the key factors in the low growth numbers was agriculture. I think it was down 29%. Mm. And there were headlines in the report last week saying that, that the sales, sales value of property has dropped by 32% from mm. December to March. Mm. So it does indicate a certain crisis of confidence in the agricultural sector. Production's also down. Is that not a contemporary issue in terms of the confusion over, over the land policy? I, don't know, I think that could be an issue going forward, and also like, when I was only quoting your own newspaper, by the way, <laughs> <laughs> saying saying like, let's look back ten years, not not, not six months. And I mean, I, definitely, I think going forward, I mean, I, I mean, I think I don't think any, anybody disagrees that, that that him getting involved in that whole land constitutional thing has led to a lot of like but there was like, drought over the uncertainty mm. and land prices. And I mean, and, and it's and it's gotten like like I said, it's, it's put a lot of doubt about about his ability to actually carry his party with him as opposed to being carried by his party, which we know from what Sigonati said is very highly compromised. Mm. So if, if, he, if he can't get a grip on them, then it's hard to see how he can get a grip on other things. And maybe we'll see more populist measures like this that are totally unnecessary. I mean, that, that's one of the most things, when I look back at a statement he made on July 31st, he actually just said there's no need to change the constitution. And mm. then, then he said, oh, but we are going to do it anyway. <laughs> you know. You know, so, oh, okay. so, so Ray, in terms of, I mean, it, does it feel, do you think, like on the ground that there is a recession? I mean, it does feel oh, yeah. that there is definitely a sense that there are more people out of work. Uh, you know, it lines to the crime stats. It's, it's kind of a negative, gloomy picture. How do we, as Sekinati said, how do we improve, how do we get out of that? How do we reverse that scenario? Just fix the country. Well, uh, you know, I mean, I think that this, this, this phrase, structural change, has been around now since 1994 and before. The South African economy actually needs to undergo a structural change to make it more, to modernize it, to loosen the hold of the giant corporations that dominate sectors, free up entrepreneurial uh, participation in the economy, and all of these things need to happen. But that's, that's a longer term thing. It's not something that you could do 
now and then next quarter the results will come mm. in and we'll be out of the recession. Mm. That's a much longer term thing. I think what needs to be done now is inspire confidence by having clear policies, not saying one thing to one audience and another thing to another and, you know, muddling along. Um, I think having clear policies, having a clear, uh, you know, showing some control and of the party, of the state, actually getting ministers to do these things, these easy wins, cutting data prices, you know, that's something that doesn't require, you know, you don't need to consult people at the Maharani in Durban before you do that. You can just do that. Um, well, it depends what's in those textbooks that he was holding. Yeah. <clears throat> so, you know, the, the, those quick wins, I don't see them happening for some reason. You know, it seems to all be very slow. But, Sekhanati, the, the structural issues that Ray refers to, I mean, to some extent, we are trapped in a situation where we have a declining mining industry that's basically the gold mining industry is dying. Um, we have a lot of people out of work already. We have unemployment at 37%. That kind of scenario implies that there'll be more job losses, that you've got to change the way you think. I mean, can this country s sustain more job losses as it transforms to a more, uh, I suppose, fourth industrial revolution country? I don't know if that's entirely possible without bloodshed. You probably have to think about Zimbabwe, 80% unemployment rate, and wonder if we... Uh, we can sustain that. But th the best time to be f for Ramaphosa to take leadership is now. Six months before an election, the party has to follow him. Lay down the law, lay down the policy, and let them follow. No political party wants to get rid of their leader six months before an election. So the confidence-boosting measures that, uh, that, that, that Ray was talking about start, even if they're symbolical. We're selling 40% of SAA right now, and you follow. You need to start there. They have been talking about, about a rescue package and, 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 and government's response to, to a recession, except not once. We, we discussed last week here and asked, what is this plan that they are talking about? You will never hear the plan, and that's not the way to lead. He needs to start taking leadership and do it now. Just lay down the law. Guys, this is how we're fixing it, and stop consulting. Look, Anya, just the last word from you on that. I mean, does he have the power to do that? Can he do that? No. And should he, how should he do that? I know. I mean, it's a difficult one, isn't it? And I was, saying to, I was thinking as you were talking that we haven't even discussed ESCO. You can imagine. That, I mean, that's one of the biggest ones. That How do we have a <laughs> program with Sekhanati and not discuss this? Because it's is fully one, the biggest danger to our whole society. And it's gone to the point where we keep kicking it down the, down the road to the point where we even get bored with it. So we don't even mention it. You know? And I mean, it's hard to see like how, not to get depressed when you talk about ESCOM. I suppose maybe that's why we avoid ESCOM. <laughs> <laughs> because, because that one, I don't know, we, don't, we, don't, we seem to have like a, had a little bit of a talk about it and had a new energy policy that's very vague here and there and then totally like forgotten about it but once we, until we fix that one I don't, I, think, I, don't like, I don't think there's any point even discussing anything else and I can't really see any prospects about fixing that one. Mm. Okay so that's the show for today guys. The, the task for next week is fix ESCOM and we'll fix the country. Mm. Uh, thanks for joining us. Join us next week where we'll, where we'll debate the big issues of the week.